honestly, being a psychiatrist has been one of the biggest blessings in my life. The ability to see in people's lives and what's going on. The, the conversations I get to have with people seemingly look, you know, very put together. They come into your room and, you know, they start breaking down and crying. It really hit home of how much people can really be struggling yeah. despite appearing to be doing quite well. For sure. And how much we don't know about people's lives, right? And so it's really been eye-opening yeah. for me. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life explores the stories of real people who've navigated their way out of life's toughest situations, emerging with greater strength and resilience. If these stories remind you of your own journey and you or someone you know need help, our collective journey is here for you. Whenever you're ready to take that next step, reach out to us at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Welcome back to the Plugged In Media Network studio. I'm Ryan. I'm your host, as usual, in season four. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for, for all the feedback we've received over the last couple months. We've It's been really nice to, uh, to get listeners contributing to the show in whatever capacity that they uh, feel like contributing. So... You know, our, our channels are always open on our social media at FDTL podcast. Feel free to send us a direct message. Um, you can email us as well. Our email address is on our website. And uh, yeah, any comments, concerns, you want to do a shout out to one of our guests or let them know that something they said really resonated with you or really helped you in your journey um, or some of the professionals we've had on the show. If you want to get connected with them, just let us know and we can help we can help facilitate that because uh, that's the reason the show is here, right? It's it's to get those messages of hope out there, uh, kind of de-stigma, destigmatize what a lot of this professional support looks like. I know when I was out there struggling, I had my own preconceived ideas of what therapy looked like or what, you know, getting connected to a group would look like. And, and well, to be frankly honest, a lot of that... Uh, thought process I had back then was completely, completely wrong. So, um, yeah, check us out on at Instagram at FDTL podcast. Like I said, that's fairly new. Um, we're definitely looking for, uh, some feedback on that as well. So with that enough promo stuff, let's get into today's show. Cause I'm super pumped to have our first psychiatrist on the show. Um, I ran into this gentleman earlier this year at our annual golf tournament. He was gracious enough and uh, kind enough to sponsor one of our holes. I think it was a hole in one hole. Then it turned out he was a great golfer and and beat us all closest to the pin. So I'm like, who is this guy? (laughs) But we had some good laughs during the day and uh, really excited to have Dr. Kent Como on the show today. So welcome, Kent. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, really great to be here. I'm excited. Awesome, man. Yeah. So I know... Well, the listeners are going to get to know you like like I've got to know you over the last little while, but uh, I know you're you're back in Medicine Hat. You moved back here earlier this year, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So actually, uh, originally from Red Deer, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I was in Victoria for residency, right? And and worked there for a few years, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, life brought me back to Alberta. Yeah, uh, it's really great to be back here, and uh, yeah, just like different. Different uh, stage of life. Gonna have kid uh, being born here pretty soon, and um, yeah, just really great to be around family. We have an amazing situation here with uh, you know grandparents here and uh, my brother mm-hmm. here as well, and so that that's something that's really important to us. So it was just a cool opportunity. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I can 
100% resonate with uh, how important it is to be around family, especially when you're bringing a little one into the world, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know my wife and I had a, a little guy a couple of years ago and his grandma and grandpa on her side moved back to uh, Medicine Hut. And what a what a gift that is for him to be able to grow up around grandparents and and just have that support when mom and dad want to go out to a movie or something. Right? Well, that's exactly <laughs> it. You know, you're talking about the golf thing. I mean, I, I, I had the, the luxury of, you know, talking to a lot of guys, uh, uh, you know, at the golf course and a lot of good conversations. And one thing always came up where they talked about the importance of, or how nice it is to have family and supports around uh, when you're raising kids. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I really take what people Tell me, and if you hear the same thing over and over again, um, yeah, you kind of like listen to that, right? For and sure. so, um, yeah, that was kind of like a big reason why we made the move and we're, we're really happy we did that. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And I, once again, you know, we talked about this before and I mentioned that you were gracious enough to <clears throat> support us during our golf tournament. And I, I was really glad that you were there because I, I knew your brother, um, your brother was a guest on this show actually in season one or yeah, two. Yeah, I believe. Told season me about two. That. yeah, yeah. Very cool stuff he's doing in the community too, right? And and uh I gotta I gotta be completely honest with you. When I heard, oh, you gotta meet this psychiatrist, I'm like, no, I don't wanna talk to another psychiatrist, right? <laughs> but it's it's once again, like I said earlier, right? It's I have these preconceived notions are based on my previous experiences with different people, right? Yeah. You move forward based on those experiences. And when I met you, um, it was completely different. It was a real cool down to earth conversation. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a start of something where I thought, man, I got to talk more with this fella. Yeah. Very cool stuff. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You know, yeah. it's been, I've, you know, we've had a couple conversations already and, you know, telling, you know, other people, I, I, I could just sit down with you for, for a long time. You know, <laughs> the, the, the world doesn't exist when we, when we chat. Oh, so that's hilarious. Yeah. I love yeah. It. But uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, I've had it, a lot where people say that, you know, they, they come to the clinic and then mm-hmm. they walk in and, and they're like, you are not what I expected. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, everyone kind of thinks about this, this dude, uh, usually a male, they think it's a male, yeah. uh, you know, with thick rim glasses and a beard and, yeah. and, and older, right. Yeah. Sounds um, like you're describing me. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm Wait looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, you're doing okay with gray hair. Oh, you're, you're fine with that. <laughs> so now. far, so yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> no, I I agree, and that's kind of the uh, the image I have when I hear psychiatrist, right? right? And it's yeah, it's like Freud. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. With the cigar in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. So I yeah, like I said, I'm really glad you're here today. And one of the things that really sparked my interest in getting to know you and talk with you more is um, that you had some brochures on our on our. Uh, tables at the golf tournament right and it was um i had to write this stuff down i usually never bring notes but i'm like oh my gosh this is way too much for me to remember <laughs> today is repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation yeah you got it and when i when i started reading that pamphlet fascinating stuff right that was the first experience i had hearing that or being exposed mm. to it right so it's fascinating stuff and then when i got to talk with you and look through your website and very cool stuff so why don't you share well, share a little bit more, Kent, about, you know, what you do in the community. And we can get into the, to the details in a little bit here, but, mm-hmm. you know, you've opened up your own, your own practice here in Medicine Hat. Yep. Yeah. And uh, why don't you share a little bit about that, what that's been like for you. Um, I know, are you in the same facility as your brother? 
Yeah. 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 So, which is really cool. Cause that, my wife, Super cool. my wife has been coming to that facility lately and she's like, this is, I'm, this is the only place I'm going from now on. I mean, that was a big, to see that place, to see that clinic. Uh, this is when we, we already decided we were going to move back to Alberta. Mm-hmm. We, we thought it was very likely. Uh, we were one, you know, we weren't sure about medicine hat at the time. Yeah. Uh, we thought about red deer as well. Made sense. I grew mm-hmm. up there, a lot of friends there and family. Um, but yeah, seeing that clinic space, um, and to be able to work with your brother there yeah, and cool. you know, everything else too. Ryan did a good job. Uh, yeah. Uh, recruiting me. It was like a recruiting <laughs> I, few I days. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, very cool to be able to be in that space. Um, to be surrounded by other people. Um, but yeah, I could talk a little bit about the clinic and yeah. and yeah. So like, you know, I'm about five years into practice now. Um, it was always, it was kind of always on my radar to start private practice. You know, I think there's something really nice about being able to tap into what you're passionate yeah, about for sure. And the way that you do things. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot of great things in, in residency, obviously. Um, and also like working in the, in the hospital system when mm-hmm. I was in Victoria, um, le- learned a lot of things. Very helpful. What was frustrating was it just was hard to get things done, like innovation, right? right. To bring in new treatments. Here we are at a clinic and, you know, we're, we're to, uh, we're, we're treating chronic persistent mental illness, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, depression. And, uh, you know, I found it really interesting that, you know, in my training, there's all these levels of treatment, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be, you know, psychotherapy and then perhaps medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we didn't have access to some of these other treatments and we're, and we were kind of like a, we're in Victoria, right? Like, right. so we serve the whole Island and, you know, there's like ECT, so electric convulsive therapy. Um, but in my training, like, you know, you look at the guidelines and for treatment resistant depression, which about 30% of people have, you right. know, they, despite multiple medication trials, either they don't respond or yep. they don't tolerate it or, you know, their psychotherapy is not working. There's about 30% of people who are kind of in this, have treatment resistant depression. And so what do we do? Right. Um, uh, a lot of people are, are kind of stuck in that depression and they can't get out and, <clears throat> There's this treatment called repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, so mm-hmm. RTMS, uh, that's in the guidelines, effective treatment. And I look around and it really wasn't all that readily available. There was one clinic in Victoria who provided yeah. the treatment. And I just wondered, I mean, you know, why, why are we not providing this? And mm-hmm. I know that they had tried to bring the treatment in, but w- because of funding, they, you know, they lost some of the staff and, and a machine was, was actually just sitting there wow. not being used. Wow. Yeah. So, so for me, it was like, okay, well, I kind of got to take this on. Right. And, and, uh, you know, with the inspiration of family and, you know, cause you know, Ryan and, and the work that he's done, yeah. um, like, okay, yeah, I could take this on, start my own clinic, um, provide this treatment, um, as a tool to get people out of the rut that they're in. Amazing. And so that, that, that's been really, I've been, it's been pretty amazing, you know, to, to see, you know, people who have had depression for so long and, and just like in this rut and stuck to, to, you know, be lifted out of this and then the new opportunity possibilities. And it really fit with 
my style of practice, which is really looking at, uh, you know, what are you, why did you get depressed in the first place? Right. You know, really understanding the individual. What was it that led to the symptoms? Yeah. Right. Um, and then developing a treatment plan based on that yeah. and figuring out then how do we keep mm -hmm. you well? How mm -hmm. do we set you up to a life that's aligned with your values? What's meaningful to you? You know, start to have boundaries or vo voice kind of your needs yeah. and yeah, live a life that's authentic to you and re reconnect. You know, the, the, the clinic's called Reconnect and it's for a few reasons. It's really reconnect to your true self. Because we often sometimes lose ourselves along oh, the absolutely. way. Absolutely. For right? sure. Yeah. And that can be a, an exploration. You don't know what that is sometimes, but the more you figure out what you're not, you know, I'm not this, I'm not yeah. that, the more like that being, that, that feeling, that inner being comes up yeah. and then you use that to guide you in your life. So, so the TMS gets you out of the rut and then we provide uh, follow-up. And some psychotherapy for right. those patients to Amazing. keep them well. Yeah. To keep them on the right Well, path. I think that's a big piece where, you know, a lot of people, and I've, I was one of them early on in my, my uh, journey to wellness, right? It was a one-stop shop. What can I do to make this better today? Right. And, I, and oh, treatment. I'm going to go get treatment. They're going to fix me. And it, it, it's, you know, through some, through some, some experience and some stumbling and some falling and a relapse and all these things, I realized that's not how it works, right? There's a lot of things that go into this and it's that aftercare and how, how committed am I to this better quality of life, you know, learning to live a different way and what am I going to do? And, and that's that aftercare piece you talked about, right? What are we going to do after the treatment's over that continues um, to better your quality of life? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like <clears throat> a lot of the treatments that we provide can make you less depressed. They can make you less an anxious. Yeah. Um, and I think about the whole idea. Yeah. You know, like you, you might be at say, you know, minus eight in terms of wellness, like let's say zero is kind of, you know, neutral. You might be at minus eight, you know, the treatments that we provide, even RTMS, like, you know, it, it, it gets you out of the rut. So you're, you're less in the minus, Yeah. you know, we might get you to, to zero, um, minus two. We might even, you might actually feel like you're at, you know, plus two, but it could be because it's not really the treatment that makes you happy. Same thing with antidepressants. It's not, that's not what makes you happy. They just make you less depressed, less anxious, but it's what you do with your life. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like the moments and like the, the activities that you do, the people, your relationships. And obviously if you've struggled with mental illness for a long time or substance use issues, those things are usually impacted right for sure like, absolutely you probably can test that Highly, right yeah. yeah so you know it it takes time to rebuild yeah. your life right and like you know and, and actually a lot of people even struggle as they come out of the come out of their depression yeah or their anxiety and they're feeling better all of a sudden like whoa like they're they have more mental clarity and they kind of see and they, they even have to process like what just happened yeah you know like what just happened in my life and and there can be a lot of um, grief, you know, just associated with that. Right. Sure. And, and so being able to process that and understand that's really useful ultimately and, and knowing like what, you know, understanding yourself in that, giving yourself compassion about what adaptive things you did to cope. People are always doing the best they can with what they For know sure. at the time. Yeah. Like I really believe that <clears throat> maybe not always ideal yeah. <laughs> the way they <laughs> cope, but, but it's what they know. It's what you know. And yeah. like, 
you know, in hindsight, it's great, but you know, it's hindsight. Yeah. Right. And you're doing the best you can with what you know at the time. And, you know, it's good to, to process that, but then ultimately just to, you know, reshape, okay, what are we going to do moving forward now? Mm-hmm. You know, understanding how you function interpersonally, you know, uh, and what might've been adaptive at one point, like in your family of origin may not be adaptive anymore. Yeah. And it's becoming aware of that and then learning new tools and skills to kind of live the life that you Absolutely. want to live. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And that's, that's kind of, well, not kind of, that's, that's the direction that here at our, our collective journey, we've been going for the last you know year for sure is we use different terminology, but it's very similar. And I think that's one of the really cool parts about connecting with you and talking with you is we both have a lot of the same mindset around this. We obviously use different terminology and, uh, but it's all the same concepts. And, and I love that piece around moving forward. What are we going to do to move forward to, to continue this new, you know, quality of life? What are we going to do to better our, our wellness? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's so similar with recovery and with, um, just, you know, building resilience, right? You're not born with it. You build it. And, and, how do you build this stuff, right? It's, it's about connection. It's about learning a new way to live, learning new skills, new abilities, these safe, supportive environments, people, different things, right? It's, it's what can we put in our, our network that wasn't there before mm-hmm. that's going to help us move forward in this new journey. And mm-hmm. it's fascinating. And, and it didn't happen overnight for me. It's, you know, I'm coming up on nine years of this new way of living and I'm still putting we call them green boxes. I'm still putting green boxes in my life to try to figure out the next level. What else can I do to better my quality of life? And I think when you stop doing that, well, I know for me personally, I'll speak from my experience. When I stop doing that, it doesn't take long to start sliding backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Knowing what the, what it is that keeps you well mm-hmm. and always being, yeah, being present, mindful, reflecting every day is like an opportunity to learn yeah. from like how that made you feel and like, yeah, an opportunity to get back on the right path, right? For sure. Yeah, and it needs to be individualized. <coughs> and that's the thing, mm-hmm. is that we're all kind of, we have our own makeup, like in terms of our life experience genetically. And so this is the thing that I think, it, it's coaching and teaching people how to become their own therapists and their own advocates. Right. And figuring out in their bodies, you know, what, what works for me, you mm-hmm. know? Are you sensitive to coffee or something like that? Okay, well then change that, Yeah. right? And maybe that's for you and maybe not for someone else. For right? sure. Um, same thing with different foods, right? And and so all of these things, I think it's empowering the individual to really reflect and understand what keeps me well Yeah. and try to stay on that path. For sure. Yeah. You know, when I was stuck in, well, I'll be the first one to say it, right? I have depression. I was diagnosed nine years ago, started taking antidepressants. They didn't work you know, the, the first one I was prescribed didn't work four or five months into it. Didn't really realize or didn't notice any big changes, switch her up. So now we're on about an eight month journey trying to find the right one for me that worked. And, mm-hmm. and I found one that worked and, and was that the magic bullet? Absolutely not. But like you said, right, it's, it helped me get out of that rut of depression, but it was a, it was about what else am I going to do? What am I going to pile onto this? What am I going to tag on? to start bettering my quality of life. And for me, it was, you know, um, some fitness, find community, get into a gym, start doing that kind of stuff to, to work on overall wellness. Not so I have 
big arms or big legs or whatever. It was about feeling good mentally. And that's the mind shift that I started to have was this is making my mental health better to be in this gym, right? I notice now if I don't go for two or three days, oh my gosh, <laughs> things start going sideways for me mentally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the and the negative self-talk and, and that leads back to the spiral of, man, I don't want to get out of bed today. I feel like a piece of shit. I'm not, you know, I'm depressed again and I'm stuck in this. And uh, it's all about what else can we put in our lives? And that's, you know, I think that was one of the biggest things that I, I took away from our first conversation where you and I sat and had a coffee and we talked about, you know, finding the root causes of this. You said it earlier in this episode, you know, what, what led to, what were some of the circumstances that led to this depression or this rut you're in? Right. And it's not about for me anyway, and, and you'll share on this, I'm sure, right. It's not about just, here's your prescription and out the door you go and, Here's your band-aid. That's the way I look at it, right? For me, is if that's the one thing that I'm going to do to combat this feeling I'm having, it's likely not going to produce the 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 north star for me. It's not going to produce the big dream that I want, right? It's it's just a piece in the puzzle, and and I love how you uh, you shared about that, right? It's it's let's let's look at what these underlying causes are and see if we can start exploring those and, and figuring out a different path through that stuff, right? Because if not for me, it just leads back to, you know, a lot yeah. of the negative coping mechanisms and poor me and I'm the victim and, and I stay stuck. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's so many things I could <laughs> say with what you just said. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a systemic issue. I, mm-hmm. I feel like in terms of uh, being able to help patients really understand the origins. Yeah. So, you know, what your symptoms are great to know, you know, what, what are you struggling with? Is it sleep, appetite, low motivation? It, it, it tells me nothing though about why, right. Or how you got to that point. Um, so, you know, it, it takes, you know, to do a psychiatric assessment, there's a lot, you know, like, you know, especially if you have a patient who's like, you know, seven years old and you're asking them like, you know, pay me a picture of your life and how, how did you get to where you are today? Right. Hard to do in like, you know, an hour, yeah, an hour and a half. I mean, you can't <laughs> like, like think about all the things. Right. So, um, yeah. And I think it's, I think it's such a hard job, like as a, as a medical provider, um, you know, there's, there's so much need and, and, uh, our time is, you know, constrained. Oh God, for sure. And so, um, I think that's actually a big part of, you know, actually why like with reconnect and, and going into private practice is I, and, and actually Alberta has been a lot better for that too, because we actually can take a lot more time with our patients compared yeah. to when I was in British Columbia. <laughs> so it actually allows me to, to practice the way that I like to practice, but, um, and it's been so satisfying because, you know, I, I have my patient come in and, you know, this is how I started. I say, Hey, like, we got some basic info, um, you know, what, how old they are, where they live, you know, um, are they married or not? Are they working? That kind of stuff. Um, and then I'll just say, I'll like in like in a 15 to 20 minute summary, help me understand how you understand your current mental health struggles. Yeah. And then, but actually if you can go to the origins 
like take me to the start where you think that began for you and it and, and oftentimes it can be childhood even for sure and then in very broad strokes tell me what made things better what made things worse and how do we get to where we are today and it's such a it's it's really amazing what patients have an inf- i mean they know the most out of anyone for sure in terms of their life the expert in their story exactly right and i found that uh you know there's such a patients are and people are just such a source of knowledge obviously and and they're it's really interesting like usually and i I learned this when i was uh like early in practice or like as a resident i would go back to my notes and i would look back to like the first couple sentences and it was like so key Wow. And I, and I might've missed it. And I'm right. like, Oh, I, I didn't realize, Oh yeah. Like, you know, that thing, like that family thing, you know, for them was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, at the time I might've kind of missed it right. and kind of missed the picture. Cause maybe in all the other information, for sure. it's really interesting though, how that, how that works. Uh, you know, patients tend to know, uh, a lot. Uh, and, and it's almost like our job as a psychiatrist is that it, it's a lot. And, and there's like this nice cartoon that I've looked at where the patient's kind of sitting in a chair and the psychiatrist is in a chair and there's like a little bubble and, and the patient and it's really jumbled. There's just like, it's going in all directions. Mm-hmm. It's really haphazard. And then the psychiatrist is there. And maybe it's not a psychiatrist, could be a therapist or, you know, psychologist, yeah. right? making sense of it. Yeah. Right. Like piecing it together. And I think that's the added value that we can provide our, our, our patients. And, and oftentimes we don't know exactly like how we piece it together. And that's yeah. a, a process. Sometimes we have to understand that we don't know there's gaps for sure. There's gray areas, but we, you know, there's, there's certain patterns we can pick up on, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing we can provide patients is, uh, you know, they're not trained in all this stuff and yeah. like understanding attachment theory and, you know, how this could have impacted their life and that and like core beliefs and, you know, how self-esteem is developed and all of that. Uh, so for us to be able to, to discuss that and say, Hey, like, okay, this is what you're coming with. And this is how I would formulate that. Like this, you know, early childhood experiences and that. And I think that's very empowering and I guess it just goes back to what you were saying, Ryan, like, you know, you take the antidepressant, but then you're kind of, I don't know if you were left on your own devices to kind of figure out what next to do or uh, like, yeah, or, a little bit. Right. I had a, I had a recovery plan when I left the treatment center, but yeah, I didn't really know where to go for support. And I didn't, at that point, I didn't think I was quite as messed up as they thought I was. So I don't need to follow this plan. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll just take these pills and things will get better. Mm-hmm. And that's. Obviously, if anyone's listened to my story, that's not how it went. <laughs> it, it did not get better right away. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, right? It's it's like putting the pieces in place and, and following some of that stuff that really adds value to everything, right? It's not usually just the one the one stop shop. Yeah. Do 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 you think you know why? Why do you think? Why, why were you in that headspace where you felt like, oh yeah, I, I don't, I didn't actually need. <clears throat> well, there was lots of reasons now that I look back, but at the time I thought, you know, without knowing what I know today, I thought 
there's no way that I have depression. That happens to other people, not me, right? I'm this big, strong male. I have all these things going in my life. I've done all these things. I, I'm not depressed. It's not depression, right? It's something else. I always wanted to, and it was that stigma around mental, mental health or mental illness, right? I'm like, that doesn't happen to me. That happens to other people, but not me, mm. right? And now that I've got on the other side of it and, and being open-minded to exploring what this looks like and not being ashamed of it, right? It's, it's not who I am. It's something that I struggle with, but it's not who I am, right? And, and I know how to deal with it. I know how to come out of those ruts now. And I, one of the biggest things that is so helpful to me, Kent, is talking about it, is sharing that, you know, it's not this thing I have in my back pocket and you're never going to get to see it, right? It's one of the first things I talk about is having depression and what I did to get out of that rut, right? Just to normalize it more because I know so many people that are struggling and they don't want to talk about any of that stuff Mm -hmm. because it's a sign of weakness or people won't like me or I'm going to be seen as a failure or whatever it looks like in somebody's life. Like you said earlier, right? It's individualistic for everybody. And the reasons you stay stuck are different than the next person. But those are a lot of the common threads that I found in the people I talk to is Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Right. And it, it impacted me completely. Yeah. To, to open up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many people who, who don't, Mm -hmm. um, and what was it like, what was the secret sauce? You know, when you're opening up and you said it was so helpful, I mean, how was that received? It was received really well, actually, but I had played it up in my head and and made it out to be this thing where people are going to, you know, see me as, as weak or all these things, right? I made mountains out of molehills. And, and once right. I started talking about it yeah. and people were actually very welcoming and, and it opened the door for other people to talk about it as well with me. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, holy smokes, this is so beneficial for me. I feel so much better to get this off my chest. And then once I started, you know, that was, let's say to put a time frame on it, let's say that was the first year or two. And then after that, it was, you know, not I say this all the time. I I don't want to just share my story. I want to use it to help somebody else. How am I going to do that to use it to help somebody else? And it was that, that kind of green light for them to start sharing about what, what was impacting them and what it's like for them. And then we can navigate what, you know, the means for them to, to alter their life in a beneficial way, what that might look like for them. And that's where I started to see the value in sharing my story. It wasn't just about me anymore, right? It's about what can I do to help somebody and if that's the piece I can share, that's going to help them. Yeah. So that's kind of what it felt like for me. It was, it was freeing and then mm-hmm. it was gratifying. And then it was like this gratefulness that would fill me when I would share, when I'd see somebody else's light bulbs come on. Right. It yeah. was amazing. And it still is today, right? That's, we don't do this to get rich. It's rich in other ways. And that's what I always say. It's, you know, I'm very rich, not financially, but. To be able to see the so many people's light bulbs turn on oh, and, yeah. and change their direction of life is oh, amazing. Yeah. Nothing better than that, right? It's so cool. Yeah. I used yeah. to know there was a guy on our podcast a while ago that used to say there's no line of cocaine that'll give you that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't expect you to resonate <laughs> with that, but coming from a, a previous cocaine <laughs> user, yeah. <that's clears throat> yeah, at least like as uh prolonged of a feeling, mm-hmm. uh, that's not gonna really <laughs> impact your uh your your physical body yeah, and your mental health passage right? <laughs> you know i i think cocaine obviously can make I, I don't know if there's much that can make you feel that good i mean that quickly yeah. i mean the amount of dopamine that gets released i mean wow. that's probably part of 
you know why obviously why it's so addictive for sure people gravitate to that they want to get that dopamine right absolutely um and well then it starts making all those brain alterations right and i i've said this before <laughs> lots that i couldn't figure out why i can't just stop using this stuff right it's just a powder why can't mm-hmm. i control this it's controlling me 100 percent. and mm-hmm. once i started to get educated around it it's it's not the the substance that's controlling me it's it's the alterations in my brain that have that's happened right. that's the controlling piece right it's the substance is just a substance sitting in a plastic bag until i put it in me and then my brain takes over and look out yeah yeah so yeah this <laughs> this is where it gets really interesting um you know with substance use uh there's a lot of reasons why people use i mean for some it's they just like you know they, they want to get the feeling they want for to sure. get the the euphoria the dopamine for others it's they need to get it back in their system because they're going through withdrawal yeah to just kind of get you back to homeostasis or above right mm-hmm. and uh and for others obviously you know coping with depression yeah you know like you're in a rut you're low dopamine you're depressed you're anxious you just want to get away from it yeah right pretty accessible pretty Acts pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, short term. Yeah, it gets you kind of out of it. I mean, sure. there, there can be a lot of obviously issues that can come with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, from a physical standpoint, relationships and yeah, and safety. Um, but man, it's like the long term stuff. Mm-hmm. Like our wire, our, our brains are wired for like evolutionarily, like short term, right? Uh, what can I get now? I don't want to feel bad now. I want to feel good now. Yeah. Right. How do I get dopamine now? How do I feel less anxious now? For sure. Uh, some people are a lot better at delayed gratification. You know, they can kind of see like the long term right. and uh, can can hold off on the gratification now for a longer term. Game. Yeah. They, they've done these studies, right? Like there's one like the marshmallow experiment. I don't know if you've heard of this. I think you mentioned it before, but okay. go yeah. ahead and share it again. Well, I think they had these like, I don't know if I remember all the ins and outs of it, but they essentially had younger adolescents i'm not sure how old they were but they put them in a room they would put a marshmallow on the table and they told them you can either eat this marshmallow now or if you wait we'll give you a second marshmallow and so they let the kids kind of do what they did some of them ate the marshmallow some were able to to wait and then they got a second one right Right. they got that delayed gratification uh and then they studied them later on and actually the, the, the kids who were able to wait did much better. Right. Now, well, what does that mean? I, I, again, I have to go back to the studies, but they, they, they were more successful yeah. in life. Yeah. Uh, now, whether that equates to substance use and all that, I, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, like, you know, a part of that is just understanding. And I, I talked to a lot of my patients about that is that, you know, we understanding the brain and how it works and like the decision-making process that we make is mm-hmm. really helpful. And so how do we, how do we overcome like that delay or that instant desire for gratification? Uh, a part of that is, you know, motivational interviewing. So yeah. understanding like the long-term kind of bonuses, like, like the advantages for sure. to, to yeah. sobriety and all that. Um, obviously sometimes you need the treatment like detox um, yeah. because yeah, your brain is, you know, you get that much dopamine from something like cocaine Absolutely. or other substances. And like you said, changes to the brain happens. Yeah. You know, we have these receptors for all these different neurotransmitters and our, our body is very good at going back to homeostasis, getting it back to 
it's baseline. And so if you are constantly flooding your brain with dopamine it's saying, Oh wow. Like we've got lots and lots of dopamine. Yeah. Uh, we actually need to down regulate sure. the receptors. So have less of those receptors available. Mm-hmm. And so what often happens is you then don't have as many dopamine receptors for regular life. Yeah. And then life is just kind of like blah. Absolutely. You don't really get a kick out of life anymore. I don't know if you experience that yourself. All the time. And, and and the only way to get that is like yeah. using the substance again. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And maybe more and more a higher, higher dose. Yeah. Too, and, right? and absolutely. And that cycle of addiction starts to progress and the tolerance builds up and the withdrawal gets worse and the yeah. obsession, the compulsion to get more starts happening sooner. And before you know it, you're high. Well, for me, from the moment my feet hit the floor till whenever I went to bed day after day after day, because I did not want to go back to feeling the way I would feel when I wasn't using, right? It was so dark Mm. and so depressive. And like you said, right, regular life just wasn't doing it anymore. And that's why. Mm -hmm. So the easiest way for me is I'll just stay high then. And Mm -hmm. eventually the long-term consequences of that is (laughs) catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. In the moment. I didn't think that far ahead. Right. And then maybe you get to a point where you, you know, if it's like hit rock bottom or it's just like, you have no choice. It's yeah. just like so bad. For right? sure. That uh, it's like, okay, well, you know, now I need to do something about mm-hmm. it. And and ideally we want to help people. And I think the, the work that you guys do with stigma and like, is that you don't have to get to being so bad, yeah. you know, and like, so like not functioning or that finally you get, help mm-hmm. right for sure uh that you, we intervene sooner you start to see the signs yeah and that's the whole goal of you know why this was started was giving a individual who's out there you know headed down that path something to resonate with or story right it's to see where the outcomes for all the other individuals who are sharing what they looked like and and maybe you know three four six months before you get to that point holy smokes that's my story right there right maybe it's Maybe I do need to look at this and, and reach mm-hmm. out for some support and mm-hmm. start finding, you know, this support network, yeah. something different. Yeah, totally. You know what? Honestly, being a psychiatrist has been one of the biggest blessings of my life. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the ability to see in people's lives and what's going on, like what's really going on. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the, the conversations I get to have with people seemingly look, you know, very put together. They come into your room and you start talking to them and, and, and you, you know, they start breaking down and crying mm-hmm. and it just made, it really made me think, you know, when I, I started seeing that when I was in medical school and like, you know, started to looking at psychiatry and, and electives and all that kind of stuff. And it really, it really hit home of how, how much people can really be struggling. Yeah. Despite appearing to be doing quite well. For sure. And how much we don't know about people's lives, right? And so, yeah, I guess like I have the, the, you know, an advantage of really being able to see into a lot of people, like different people's lives and like the factors that make them feel the way that they do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, for, for me to be able to share that, I think that's, you know, obviously I can't provide, you know, details because of confidentiality sure. and stuff, but yeah, it's really, it's really been eye-opening yeah for me well and that's good to have you know hearing that come from you you know um that part around people looking put together because i know that's that was one of the things i really put a lot of focus on is keeping that picture looking really good for everybody on the outside to see 
Nobody got to see the rotten, shitty, crooked nail the pitcher was hanging on. Mm-hmm. It was about to come off the wall, right, and crash. But I was good at painting this picture because the less people would notice, the less I had to talk about um, how unwell I was, right? And and like I said earlier, I didn't want to talk about that, right? It's this behind the curtain. Nobody ever sees this. And to hear you talk about that is is... And how grateful you are for that, right? I, I feel that same feeling when somebody trusts me enough to sit down and start sharing some of their journey with me. I'm like, wow, this is really cool mm-hmm. and helpful, right? It's it's mm-hmm. normalizing this conversation. And I think I've shared this hundreds of times, right? That's the the one surefire way to start chipping away at stigma is let's talk about it, right? You can mm-hmm. get all the, throw up all the hashtags you want on Instagram and get the semicolon tattoos and all these things, but it's all about starting a conversation, but if nobody's starting it and having it, um, it's really hard to start erasing stigma, right? Well, yeah, you, you just think you're the only one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, dealing with this thing because you, you can't see mm-hmm. people's inner worlds Yeah, unless you put that into words and you yeah. share that, right? 100%. It's that part we don't see. So, And it's so easy to hide, right? Until it's not. But it's so easy to put that picture up. Yeah. And, and absolutely. Sometimes, I mean, it's the hiding itself that actually can cause a lot of issues. Mm. You know, like you're, you're talking about sometimes it's a story or like appear a certain way. We, we can live our lives. And I know I've done this. So I can speak from experience. You know, you kind of have an idea of who you are and an image of yourself. And you could go great lengths to, to, to maintain that or even to fight a story that you don't like mm-hmm. about yourself. Yeah. And in the process, you're, you're actually just like missing out on the signals. Maybe it's symptoms that you're kind of missing the mark. You're not attending to something important in your life because, yeah. you know, maybe a force is p- pulling you a certain way in your life, but it's really incongruent with actually who you are. And sometimes we're aware of that. And sometimes yeah. we're not aware of that. Right. But that can cause a lot of angst and anxiety, you know, when our lives, and, and I guess the question is, is what force is pulling you away? Is it societal mm-hmm. expectations, family, you know, a partner and realizing that and like really looking at that and then, realizing like what what is my compass of like how i'm going to live my life is it other people is it how i think a story that i've created right you know that tells me like this is what my worth if i do this then my worth Mm -hmm. when really there's probably you know there is like i believe an inner kind of your 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 inner being yeah your inner energy it's it's beyond content beyond what you think it's just it's there. And when you tap into that life will, and you'll feel it, yeah. you'll know that you were living in sync with what you were born to be Yeah, and do. Wow. Right. So it's not, it's what, you know, and this is something I learned. This is not coming from me. This is just stuff I've like, I've read and listened right. to, and it's pretty cool. It's just the more we realize who we're not, and that includes like thoughts, mm-hmm ideas we have about ourselves, parts of our identity. What happens is our being starts to arise when we figure out what we're not. Yeah. We move out the junk, the garbage, and then 
our inner being kind of shows up. And then the question is, do we have the courage to then mm-hmm. live that life? For Especially sure. if people expect it's different things from us. Yeah. Right. And maybe this part of like <clears throat> vulnerability, um, maybe part of it is like just how you're feeling and like that disconnect and being able to talk about that. Right. But if you cut that part off of yourself, you're actually missing out on some really important information to actually get you back on track. Right. Yeah. Like that's why I say when you're talking about how, you know, your, your story of like, Oh, I don't have depression. I mean, th- that was probably an adaptive story to have, like mm-hmm. to, to maintain your self-esteem or, you know, it's one less thing to worry about. You're yeah. not in the gray zone about, <clears throat> well, like frick, how do I deal with that now? Yeah. Right. You know, to say, Oh no, that's not what it is. It's, it's a nice, it's a nice adaptive story, but ultimately it's actually impairing your ability to, to attend to what you need to attend to. Yeah. Oh, for sure right? it was. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, so with people and like <laughs> with experience me. and like, hopefully you don't have to get to the, you know, rock bottom before you get there is you, you start to listen to those signals within you. Right. And, and uh, yeah, like have someone journey with you usually not do it in isolation Yeah, to get you back on track. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, a lot easier to do when you have somebody walking beside you. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, one of the other things that uh, you just mentioned there reminds me of, you know, going back to my own experience was, you know, that, that compass you have, that moral compass, what's guiding you, right? And is it, is it society? Is it um, something external? Is it the story you've been telling is for me, you know, and I've shared this with you before, you know, I grew up, in this household where, you know, I was told what I needed to be happy. You get this, 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 and this, which was a good job, a wife, kids, all these things. You should be pretty happy by that point. Right. And, and I had this value system kind of instilled with me and, and it's the way I lived my life, this moral compass that guided me till I was 40 years old. And when I got into recovery and they started saying, who is Ryan? What is Ryan like? And I'm like, I really had to stop and I had to look at that because I didn't really know. And I thought to myself, it was, it was such a feeling of being lost. So I'm like, here I am, I'm a middle-aged man and I don't even know what I value. And it was, it was a lot of work around that piece. What do I inherently value based on something that was taught to me? Or what do I personally value now that, you know, I'm letting this this inner energy out, like you were saying, right? Like I found that something, what I've been doing up until then didn't fulfill me. That wasn't my purpose. Now I have something else that I'm trying to fulfill something else. I'm trying to, you know, at that point, I didn't know what it was. I just want to be in recovery. I don't want my life to get better. But when I started to listen to that feeling and started to really dig into what do I value? I got to figure this out. It was completely different than what it used to be. Right? So when you talk about what am I not, you know, what, what, this isn't who I am. That's, that's the kind of mindset I had. Well, I know I don't like that. And I know this didn't serve me well. So I'm going to try this on this side of the fence and I'm going to do these other things and, and, you know, started piece that together and my life started to get better. But more importantly, I started to get better internally. Like my mental health started to get better. I started to find value in just breathing every day, right? I, I didn't want to take my life anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things started to get better, mm-hmm. but it took a lot of work. And it was that you mentioned courage, vulnerability. It took a lot of that, which I wasn't used to. I thought courageous was fighting a guy who was six inches taller than me. That was courage hmm. up until that point. Right. But mm-hmm. now I, I realized, you know, being courage is looking at something that scares me, whether it's public speaking, sharing about my feelings, stuff like that, and then taking the step and doing it. 
and then realizing that, you know, what a powerful moment that is. And, and I can do things and it, and it opened doors to new things, but it also opened doors to me understanding self-worth, like who I am and what do I value? It really started to put those pieces together for me. And, you know, over nine years, it's, it's led to this whole different quality of life, but it, it all came back to those pieces that you were just talking about. And, and while you were speaking, I was in my mm. brain putting my story together and I'm like, this is mm. bang on for me. I too. mean, what, like, what's that feeling? How would you describe that feeling you're talking about, about realizing what you valued? Yeah. Well, at the start, it was like, there was some fear attached to it. I'm like, what is this? Like I've lived, I think it was because it was so normalized in my life for 40 years. This is who I am, what I value, what I, what I do, what I stand up for. And then to suddenly realize that's not who I am. Now it's like, well, I'm lost. Right. So there's this bit of fear attached to it, but then it was, um, excitement to start looking in a different direction and, and getting some more knowledge around things. But it soon turned into, I think fulfillment. I don't know. Like just this weight had been lifted. It was, it was this inner feeling of, of joy almost. Like I finally have something that's lighting me up. It's not, I don't have to do this anymore. Right. I get to do these things, mm-hmm. which is. Was it like little moments? Oh yeah. Yeah. Little moments. You know, I'll share this one piece where I suddenly, you know, over the course of three months found what my purpose would be. And this was during, I've spoke about this before I did a early in recovery, like three, four months into recovery, I did a cross Canada bicycle trip and it was to yeah. share about addiction recovery, right? That there is hope there. It's possible. So we, we, my friend and I, we took off from Vancouver, trekked across the country for the whole summer of 2015. At the start of that journey, it was about crushing a hundred. We needed to do a hundred kilometers. We need to ride here. We got to go farther, faster, all these things. Right. But it, it was very humbling because the mountains in BC dictated how far you were going to ride that day. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, it started to become more about people pulling over on the side of the road, wondering what the hell are these two crazy buggers doing with all this gear on these bikes? So they'd pull over and talk to us and we'd share, which opened the door for them to share about how addiction was impacting their lives, whether it was them or their loved one or a daughter, whatever it was. And by the time we got to uh, Ontario and into Quebec, it was New Brunswick, actually, when I registered for college to become an addictions counselor, because I thought, this is what my purpose is. Like, I love, there were some days we'd ride 15 kilometers because we spent three hours talking to someone in a park. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is what I really love mm-hmm. doing is, mm-hmm. is having these conversations with people and, and not about me talking to them. It's about opening that door and listening to them. Mm-hmm. And how, how can I find a way to help them in this short, brief period of time, right? Whether it's just letting them know lots of times that they're not alone in this, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of where I found that new belief in myself and that new, what do I value in life? It's not about work. And well, you were listening to the signals mm-hmm. and only you know those signals, right? Yeah. And, and like the interesting thing about that story is that you had no idea that like the part that you would enjoy is actually just talking to people. Yeah. And this is the thing is that, you know, I think it's, and you mentioned before, it's like, at least you're trying, like you, you tried new things. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, people have to understand like, well, as human beings, we have to understand, we don't always know what direction we need to go. For sure. Right. Uh, it's kind of like when you're an 18, like say you're like, you're going to university, right? 
this idea that you need to know what you're gonna do right away is like not the greatest. Like, no. you know, like like some people say, like I, I don't want to go to school. Like I'm not ready to go because I don't know what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I have to know what I want to do first. You know what I'm passionate about before I actually go in and do it. But the thing is, is like you got to remember the process, right? Yeah. Like your internal signals, you know, to look for those of like, Oh yeah, this gives me like life. Mm-hmm. This like, this pumps me up. Like yeah. I'm really excited about this. <laughs> and then you, so then you, you get curious about it and then you might add more of that to your life and then you see where it takes you. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the same thing with your bike trip, you know, like, something's pulling you in that direction. So you go and like, you have to be open to like what comes and like open to whatever your, your inner being tells you is like the direction that you need to go. For sure. Not what other people expect or like, you know, you might've said, Oh yeah, like we plan on, you know, hundred kilometers a day. And if you got so stuck on that, you might've missed actually the other part of it. For sure. Right. I would have probably right? killed myself <laughs> trying to do that. Keep up with that schedule. Right. So, you know, yeah, it's kind of like, no, like, you know, each and every one of us, I think, especially when it comes to like individually ourselves, no one is going to know our internal world better than us. Obviously, you can have people guide us through that and like, you know, treat some of the things that the noise that's getting in the way, right? If it's the drugs, yeah. obviously, if you know, drugs can obviously get, create a lot of noise and disconnect you from that signal. For sure. Big time, right? Yeah. Um, but to, yeah, to, but, but it, it can be also terrifying if your being is like pulling you a direction that you were not expecting yeah totally right or if there's like certain expectations about you know live this life and but you're 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 getting pulled in another direction and then you you know you're left to kind of decide but to to take the courage to choose what feels right for you yeah. right and like go on that journey that's I mean, I think that's like the ultimate Me too. journey yeah. in everyone's life. Yeah. It's figuring that out. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. But of course it's, it's, it's really hard to do if you're struggling with mental illness. Yeah. So that it's like a big barrier, right? So that's where all this other stuff comes in of like, okay, well, <clears throat> if you're not accessing that, like it's kind of a luxury to be able to do that. <laughs> right. For sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, if you don't have your basic needs met, if you know, if you, you know, you don't have a roof over your head, you're not, you don't have like, you know, money coming in, you can't pay for meals and all that stuff. Like, you know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Like you need to have those basics met. For sure. And then you can, you know, get to the point of self-actualization. But I would argue like even, you know, as long as, uh, depends what's going on in the brain and, and, uh, physiologically and, um, you know, mental illness might get in the way, but this is what we do at our clinic is really, you know, what are your goals and hopes for the future is one of the last things that I'll ask, you know, to end my assessment to know, like, where do you actually want to go and figure out what the barriers are and then get people on the path to, to have the confidence to take, take those steps. That's amazing. Cause you know what, like a lot of the things you just said, Kent really resonates with me on, you know, different levels, but that's something similar to what we try to do as resilience coaches and recovery coaches, right? Is where do you want to go? What do you want your life to look like? What does life look like today now? And what are the barriers? And for us, you know, what are the red boxes? Where do you need some green boxes? And let's figure this out and let's help you get connected to the places that you need to get connected to when you're ready. 
and you're going to decide what they are. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but uh, let's build that network, right? And what are we going to do? Let's break it down into small, little, manageable, tangible goals that you can accomplish. They might seem hard today. And if they were easy, we would have done them already, right? It's, it's things that are difficult, but you don't have to do it alone. And let's, let's start walking this path together and let's tackle some of these hurdles. And once, you know, in my journey, once I started to tackle some of those hurdles, like I said earlier, that were astronomical, I thought, I looked back and I thought, well, that wasn't so bad, actually. Mm-hmm. And I did it. Mm-hmm. So let's try the next one. Mm-hmm. And you start stacking those together. And suddenly, like, there's no turning point where I can look back and say, that's the day that things changed for me. It's like all these things compounded to a different quality of life. It didn't just happen. It was like, put the next foot in front of the other. Exactly. Let's just keep going and and being open-minded, right? And being open-minded to trying these new things, like being open-minded to sitting down and talking with a psychiatrist today, right? It's it's, (laughs) it's just about who knows where it's going to go. And you and I talked about this early on. We don't know what every episode is going to look like, right? And, And I'm sure I have a a topic sheet here of a few things we're going to talk about today. And I think we (laughs) talked about one of them, but you just never know, right? It's about just having conversation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing, man. Why don't you, why don't you share a little bit about more around, you know, what kind of stuff you do in your practice? What other things? Cause I know you do, you do, uh, RTMS. Now we talked about that a little bit, Mm -hmm. but what else do you do there? That's that you know, not what you think, but you know is beneficial for yeah. the clients that come to see you. Yeah, well, so, I mean, one of the uh, things that was really important for us to provide is uh, some called shared care. Um, so what this is, essentially, uh, someone might be in the community struggling. We, we treat depression, anxiety. Yeah. Um, and there, there's a few other criteria. It's on our website. Um, but if you're not getting traction with treatment, you know, say with your primary care provider, family doctor, nurse practitioner. Um, you might be one of those treatment resistant individuals. Uh, you're just not getting traction. Uh, you can be referred to our clinic and, and be seen mm-hmm. for an assessment. And then based on that assessment, I will uh, create a formulation, like an understanding of what's going on and, uh, and then provide the treatment plan and really outline, you know, in, in terms of different areas, like if you want to go medication, this is what you can do. If not that, use this. If that yeah. doesn't work, try this. Add on this if you need to. Um, and then psychotherapy, what areas in your life, I think, you know, in the discussion may be really beneficial for you right. as an individual. You know, what type of therapy, what areas to focus on. Uh, you know, I'll mention things about lifestyle, um, you know, areas that, that can improve in that regard. And then, uh, and then sometimes like, you know, I'll comment about whether RTMS could be an option. Cause I think yeah. people need to know that that's like an option. I don't think it's on people's radar, nope. but it's like this thing that works really well. There's like a lot of evidence supporting it. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we need to, it's really unfortunate that it's not covered. So it's private pay service right now. Other provinces do cover it. Yeah. I know Saskatchewan does. <laughs> uh, I've heard Ontario covers it in the Yukon. Um, you know, hopefully this will be yeah. a treatment that becomes available. They do have a few machines here in Alberta, uh, which is great. Um, sometimes it can be limited by like wait times. It sure. can take up to like two or three years yeah. from what I've heard. Makes sense. So yeah, hopefully we have uh, some uh, get, get coverage for that um, for, for patients. Uh, so 
Yeah. So, so we'll do shared care. And then what happens is the patient then goes back to their primary care provider and, uh, and they, they do the treatment plan, you know, from the medication standpoint. And if there's any questions from the primary care provider, some hangups, things aren't going with, as they expected, they can call me, mm-hmm. just call me, nice. know, book my schedule. And then we have a, we have a chat about that. Nice. We discuss. So increases the accessibility to psychiatric care. Cause otherwise like, Honestly, I'd be full right now. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> if I saw people and I just continued seeing them, I would be full. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this allows us to be more available, and it's also just like helping out the well patients, right? You can see more patients for sure, uh, and then help out uh, primary care providers too. Yeah, that's nice really cool educational tool, and that because it's a lot. You know, they they have to take on a lot and know a lot, mm-hmm. right? And, oh, for uh, sure. So it's good as a specialist to provide that that uh, that direction. So we do that. Um, and actually, like my biggest passion is group therapy. I was going to say, I, I saw on your website, you guys do some group yeah. work. Yeah. So this to me was probably, as I was doing my residency, these were the moments where I'm like, wow, this like really speaks to me. Like yeah. I really get energized by this. Like this doesn't feel like work, you know, like sitting in groups and just seeing the connective power, like people sharing mm-hmm. and like how beneficial that was for the group. And so I'd watch like CBT groups and I went to, uh, uh, I believe it was Edgewood on, uh, on the Island yeah. and, and saw that too. And I was like, wow, like, you know, like just a different, yeah, it was just like, it, it was really interesting to me. So I, I, I listened to that and I got more training in, in psychotherapy. I think there's a bit of a story there around, you know, there's a lot, a large pull in, in psychiatry in the way that we're trained to be hospital based right. and to really focus on, you know, you know, mostly, uh, pharmacology. I mean, we do learn about, uh, some psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge emphasis and, and, you know, I think there is a pull absolutely to, to be a prescriber and to see multiple people. Um, and, and psychotherapy isn't generally seen as, something that a psychiatrist yeah, should do. Yeah, for sure. However, I had to listen to that and uh, yeah, I just kept doing that and, and, and really love it and enjoy it. And I think that's such an important part of what I provide. So it's, it's group therapy. That way I can see more people. If it's yeah. one-to-one, it, you know, I'd be <clears throat> tied up, uh, be pretty full. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but there's all these really powerful parts of group therapy, uh, you know, being able to y- universality, realizing like our common humanity, mm-hmm. you know, imparting information, one person to another, different journeys, yeah. different places, instilling hope, Totally, you know, altruism, all these things. And so, yeah, we've been, I've been doing some group therapy as, you know, the next step for some people, whether that be after their TMS to, you know, learn how to connect with people and interpersonal issues, understand deeper parts of themselves, right? actually process and talk about, um, so yeah, I do that, uh, group therapy. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's called like process groups. So yeah, we're not really like sure. looking at, uh, PowerPoint slides or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, I do those kinds of groups as well, like CBT groups. And yeah. those, those definitely have a place and, and are really helpful. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, these other groups, it's really kind of like what we're doing. We're just, yeah, it's, it, there's no set agenda. That's, I mean, there's, there's rules and, and for sure. how we go about the group, but, uh, yeah. So that's been a lot of. A lot of fun doing that's that. That's really cool. Yeah. And that's when, yeah, I, I find 
like a, a real unique power in group work, you know, whether it's therapy or whether it's process group or whether it's whatever it is, right. Just having like-minded people in a group in this safe environment where, yeah, like you said, right. You can, you can provide hope. You can, you can, for me, when the group starts doing some work on their own and you can step back and you can see that it's turning into a working group where people are building network and starting to share amongst themselves. And that's for me, this big moment where I'm like, ah, this is so powerful to watch. We carry that with us. It's amazing. You know, like even when we're not in the group, just knowing we have like those people, Mm -hmm. we carry that with us. Right. Yeah. And yeah, like it helps us get through tough times. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I feel like, uh, we just scratched the tip of the iceberg today. <laughs> There's so many things we could talk about, honestly. Totally. Yeah. I know we stay tuned because uh, Kent and I were talking months ago now about uh, somehow, Dave, we're going to put this on your plate. We're going to do a podcast from a golf cart someday while we're <laughs> yeah. shooting around a golf and <laughs> all over it, he says, from the back curtain. Yeah. I, I mean, this is fascinating stuff to me. And, and it's, I love that uh, the way you present the material, right. And, and the way that you, the way that you work, the way that your practice works. And I, I can guarantee, you know, individuals who are listening, if, if they go in and see you, Kent, this is the Kent that you get, right. It's not, you know, you get Kent on the podcast and then you get <laughs> white coat Kent when you go into his, <laughs> his practice. Right. And that's what I love about sitting down yeah. and chatting with you is you're a pretty normal dude. Yeah. I like to think so. <laughs> Totally. Right. Which is very unique to me in this, in this space is, uh, this is who you get. Yeah. Authentic. Yeah. Well, it's, I don't know. I mean, thank you for that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, it it is really important. You know, I think just being who you are, I think that's the coolest part about being a psychiatrist. I, I never plan on being a psychiatrist. Um, I didn't know what that was. Yeah. I didn't know what that looked like. Yeah, I just thought it was like super cool. And obviously it just like fit for me when I did my rotations. Um, But yeah, just like the cool part is that you are the treatment, Mm -hmm. a part of it. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, like your relationship, we we know that most people don't take their meds, (laughs) you know, and uh, the therapeutic alliance has a lot to do with that, right? Like to to actually be with someone, explain to them why this medication, all that kind of stuff. And so- yeah, I mean, if, if they're not on board, I mean, you know, good luck. Yeah. Uh, if they don't think that they're heard and, and uh, you know, it's it's tough. Yeah. Especially if people have had interpersonal issues mm-hmm. that led to their problems. So you got to be mindful of that. So being a psychotherapist as well is like very useful, you know, and obviously my work that I do and, and uh, always being mindful that, that the relationship is very important. Um you know, when I do my groups and I get feedback, like mm-hmm. people don't really care that much about the content. They're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like I learned this yeah. and that, but they always talk about how just like, oh yeah, I just didn't feel alone. You yeah. Know? Like, and it was just nice to like talk to someone and like feel heard mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff in the group. And so I've really taken that as, you know, not getting so hung up on the content. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it's more of the process. So getting away from content, more about process and, and being open and learning. And like, I've just learned so much from my patients. It's like, it's, it's awesome. It really helps me, right? Yeah. Learn about the human experience. And like, so the next person that comes in my, my 
you know, that I see that, you know, that, that becomes another part of my understanding what could, could be happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And you nailed it, right? That's something I firmly believe is that therapeutic alliance, right? If, if you can't build rapport, it's tough to move forward from that, right? If, if the individual that's sitting across the table from you doesn't trust you or doesn't have that respect for you or isn't in that space to listen to what you're saying, right? Um, and respect it or be open to trying it. Mm-hmm. What's we're just spinning our wheels. What's the purpose behind it, right? It, what's where's the change going to happen, right? And yeah, and I and I speak from my experience, right? I sat across from a, a psychologist with, and I've shared this lots, master's degree, all these plaques on the wall, and did not connect with her one bit. Mm-hmm. I just thought this. I just need to say this stuff to get the hell out of here, <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it did not wasn't a fit for me. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's about building that connection and then we can move forward from there. But that's where we spend a lot of our time is spending, listening. Yeah. Let's connect. You could be the best psychotherapist. You could actually be the, the, such a great individual. However, for someone, you may not be the right fit for them. Mm -hmm. And you gotta be open to that. Like, and that's, it's nothing personal. It's just like, you know, you need someone who is on the same, you feel like there's, they're on the same wavelength as you, or at least they like understand and like they're, you know, they're. They're really working with you, right? For sure. And so, yeah, like if, if one thing like I would say to, to the listeners is, um, you know, treat going out and finding help as, you know, user inner feelings around like, is this a good fit for me? And it's totally okay if you meet someone and you're like, oh no, this isn't a good fit. Right. I mean, if it, if it happens over and over again, you might have to ask yourself like, <laughs> okay, well, you know, maybe it's something about me or like there's some barrier, right? There's a common thread in this. <laughs> right. Weird. But uh, yeah, like, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, any good good provider or psychotherapist would say, oh yeah, okay, well, you know, they'd be open to that feedback. Like, okay, For sure. this isn't a good fit. Um, let's, uh, here's someone else that yeah. I recommend, right? Yeah. So that actually is probably one of the biggest things that can influence outcomes mm-hmm. is the therapeutic alliance. Yeah. You know, how much are you on the same page about what the goals are? Um, how much do you feel heard? And like, are you in sync? Yeah. Right. Um, obviously, we live in a resource poor kind of climate right now mm-hmm. in terms of mental health care. So, um, and, and, you know, I have a lot of compassion too for providers, right? I think the way that the system is built, uh, it makes it very hard, Yeah. you know, especially with so many people to be seen for sure. Um, so I have a lot, like lots of compassion for that. So, um, yeah, I just think it's one of those things like, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, we have through conversation with people in community or around the province, whatever, right. I, I hear, and it's unfortunate, but I hear a lot of people, you know, talking down about, you know, Alberta health services or various service providers. And, and I know a lot of people that work at these agencies, right. And it's, it's not that they're, they're not uh, good therapists or good service providers, right. It's capacity issues. System is mm-hmm. busting at the seams, right. So you can only do so much with the allotted time you have with people. And, and I get that. And that's the conversation we have a lot with people in community, right. Is, is mm, it's not really, you know, don't get me wrong. There probably is the odd, shitty therapist out there, <laughs> but I'm not going to, sure. you know, it, system is at capacity everywhere you go. It's not just yeah. a medicine hat thing. It's all over the place. And what are we going to do? That's what I love about what you're doing, right? That, that, uh, shared care and stuff like that, right? What do you, what are we doing to help 
ease the burden on the system and, yeah. and allow people to get some of the, the care that they really have the right to. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. It's so cool, man. Yeah. Love it. Well, I definitely think this is going to require a part two, maybe part three in the golf cart. We're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're not sure yet, Kent, but uh, stay tuned. Cause if you're open to it, we'd love to have you back on the show. Oh, and, absolutely. I would love that. Yeah. That'd, that'd be, be cool. That'd man. be so great. Yeah. Um, where can people find you? Uh, how can they find me? Uh, usually psychiatrists don't like to be found. <laughs> At least their personal inboxes. Where can but they find your website? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, our website is, uh, my address is, <laughs> uh, www.reconnectmentalhealth.com. So that's our website. Um, our, our, uh, email address will be on there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, info at reconnectmentalhealth.com. Um, and all the referral forms too, and, and information about our services, uh, are there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And we'll put that like every other episode, we'll put that in the footnotes. Um, and yeah, I think very valuable to check out reconnects website because that's where, uh, we didn't get a chance to share in depth about or discuss, you know, I, I, like I said, I have this topic sheet with all these things written down today because I I didn't want to miss a lot of it, but I, I just think that, uh, the conversation today was pretty valuable oh, in yeah. a different direction. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. So oh, yeah. check it out on your own. Here's, here's some homework. Check out reconnect on the website. And, uh, yeah, I, I honestly, I'd love to like hear if people have comments or like ideas, mm-hmm. you know, or like questions too. For sure. Um, yeah, I'd love to know and, and, uh, make it kind of interactive in that way. Right. And yeah. Sure. Yeah. This would be useful and pick a psychiatrist's brain a little bit. Yeah. Around things. Turn the tables. <laughs> yeah, just like on the, the golf course. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's funny. The, the On the golf course, um, you know, we set up the booth, right? And mm-hmm. and I, I we didn't really even have it set up. I kind of just won it. You know, I think I had all these golf balls I was giving away. And it was kind of like beat, you know, I think it was like, uh, yeah, get closer to the pin that, than the the psychologist. I think they put it, put it down as, and uh you know, if you got closer, then you'd, you'd get some free balls, right? But uh, one of the first groups, they, they're like, oh, okay, like, you know, when you when you go hit, we're just going to chirp you, right? And <laughs> and so they really liked the chirping. And uh, so we actually kept kept with that, you know. Nice. So uh, as I'm hitting, they're trying to get in my, my wheelhouse there. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> so we, we, we might get some noisemakers and stuff for next year. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Did you hear that, Amber? We have a sponsor for next year already. <laughs> oh, yeah. Woo! We still have you back. Absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. have a lot of fun with that, I think. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate your support and uh, what you're doing in community because it's definitely making a difference for people. And uh, I just think there it's it's innovative. It's uh, something kind of outside the box of normal psychiatric practice I think it is in my experience anyway so I think it's very unique and that was one of the other reasons I definitely wanted to have you on the show and and let other people be exposed to what you're doing in community because I just love it and I think it's going to be very valuable to uh, somebody who's listening today yeah well thanks I, I really appreciate it Ryan and like the OCJ team and everybody you know for having me because it's yeah I think there's just like it's just really, I think it's really valuable. Um, you know, anything I can bring from a psychiatrist perspective, right. Mm-hmm. If, uh, you know, just to, to understand a little bit of, you know, how we think and, and, uh, you know, that, that there is hope and, and obviously here in medicine, how we have this, this clinic that that's an option, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. dude. 
Okay. Well, we better wrap up this episode. I know you are a busy man and you got places to go. So thank you for your time. And uh, once again, check us out on Instagram at FDTL podcast, our website, our collectivejourney.ca. There is a donate button on there. If anybody feels like they want to bust open their wallet today and then uh, support what we do in community, uh, every dollar goes to programming here and supports local people. So with that, we're going to wrap this episode up and uh, thanks for tuning in. Hit that like button, share the episodes and we will catch you next week. Thanks. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the real stories of people who've triumphed over the many challenges of life's journey. If you or a loved one needs support, please reach out to ourcollectivejourney.ca. Our commitment is to empower you to build resilience as you journey towards recovery. Consider showing your support by donating online at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pate. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive.